Though this morning the <clears throat> occasion to reflect and observe the way it is, it's uh, important to, to recognize that, uh, bring into consciousness the way things like convention, conventional reality. So you're putting it in a context of of uh, an object that you can uh, accept and not uh, create a lot of personal preferences or criticisms or attachments to. And be able to, uh, you know, separate the conventional reality and and then your ability to pay attention to the nature of the conventional reality, to the sensory experience that we're having at this time, in order to see it for what it is. When we don't do this, then we, we're endlessly caught into the, into the uh, conditioned realm, uh, kind of lost into it. We have no reference outside it. <clears throat> Though on a personal level, personality is all uh, developed out of conventional realities, out of identity with the body, with the five khandhas, with the habits, thoughts and memories. And the thinking process. So the only way to get outside of that, one thing, is not to think about it. Because if, if you try to analyze and think and, and so forth, then you're, you're, you're caught into it endlessly. It's, uh, that's why it's this intuitive sense, intuitive intelligence, that is our only way outside of that conventional reality. So with mindfulness, then this is the this is the sati sampachanya, intuitive awareness, apperception, isn't an intellectual process. It doesn't depend on thought. Even though thinking can operate, it we're no longer. thinking in terms of uh, attachment to thought, ideas, views, and opinions. And uh, remember that even Buddhism itself is a thought. The word Buddha, Buddhism, Theravada, and all the rest, uh, Tibetan and Zen and all the, it's all, these are conventional realities. They're conventions, they're thoughts, Their ideas, traditions. <clears throat> so if one is just caught into those, into that process, there's, you become that way. You become a Theravadan Buddhist or whatever you attach to, you become that. So in the 
notice how you know we do form views and opinion. We get we 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 get very attached to the tradition that we've invested our interest into and what we have faith in and trust. So that um, we we tend to form these sectarian views and opinions that that come from that attachment. So the only way outside of that is through awareness. And this is, uh, awareness isn't a conventional reality. And the more you try to become aware, the further you get from it. You can't make yourself aware through some willful act because you you think you understand what it means. So it's this uh, sense of awakening, listening, attentiveness, relaxed attention, and a recognition. Awareness is this. Not defining it nor, or uh, trying to become it, but recognizing, realizing it. It's empty, it's not self. It doesn't seem like anything in terms of the thinking process. Because thinking is, is, is uh, limited to the realm of conditionality. So the word Buddha, then, instead of clinging to some definition or some view you have about it, about the word itself or the terminologies or the tradition we're using, uh, it's not a matter of of uh, grasping this and, and trying to attain enlightenment through grasping the idea of the ideas you get from Buddhism. But to me the whole uh, essence of the Buddhist teaching is awakenness. And it's so simple and so immediate that of course uh, the more you try to think about it the further you are from that reality. So when I say trusting it's a it's a, a kind of an imminent kind of ob- observation, witnessing ability that we have. When I use the word reflection, that's what I mean. It's paying attention and noticing. Now, when I first had this insight, it was through actually noticing the space between thoughts, and whether consciousness was, pure consciousness without attachment to thought was recognized for the first time. Now I could understand it, I could figure it out, I figured it out long before I had the insight. Intellectually I could, you know, see that and recognize that on the theoretical level, but the reality of it 
because it was because I thought I understood because I intellectually understood it or the theory of it the reality of it evaded me because of the uh, endless uh, attachment and lack of con continuity in awareness because where well, thinking process um, blinds us to that if you if you observe your uh, what thinking really does is it's all about past, present, future. It's about self. It's about good and bad, right and wrong. It's about what should and shouldn't be and preferences and ideals. So if you have good, you know, the concept of good, goodness, and then it's opposite evilness. The heaven and hell, right and wrong. The sense of a self is, is based on these, you know, the personality, what we call Sakyaditi in Pali. Uh, it's, uh, personality view or the ego is all based on memory, memory of, you know, identities of conditioning. And just notice what, you know, you can be aware of, of your own personality. What I think I am, my value, my worth, my self-worth my past, my history, the ideals of, or the, the memories of a lifetime, the sense of success or failure or being attractive or unattractive or whatever. All these are, uh, you know, they depend on memory and uh, thinking Liking, disliking, approving, disproving. Now, not, thinking is nothing, I'm not trying to condemn thinking, but pointing to its limitation. It's how to, to use thinking rather than just become someone who thinks, who's caught in the thinking process, blinded by one's own thoughts. And, you know, we get become obsessed with, you know, a compulsive, obsessive tendencies in the human individual. It's all around thinking, isn't it? Fears of uh, desires, identities, obsessions around different uh, condition experiences or memories.
And many of us, uh, like in the Western world, we come from a society that is very um, intellectually uh, dependent. It's idealistic. So it's based on ideals of, you know, uh, how things should be and the ideas of democracy and freedom, um, uh, human rights, morality, what's good and bad. Um, The sense of our self-worth is, uh, you know, being successful and being... uh, good, being a useful member of society, contributing to the welfare, all these ideals are very much part of our cultural attitude. So in in noticing this, this this, uh, awareness of the ideals, the 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 sense of oneself as a person, one's self-worth, the identity one has as a, a belonging to, say, what ethnic background, class, or the gender of the body. So, like, being attached to to the um, sense of being male or female, or European or Asian, or whatever. These are, uh, these are concepts. These are conditioned factors. These aren't ultimately real. So they're conventional realities, but not ultimate realities. And so on the conventional level, the identity with them is always a source of anguish and despair because we're easily, uh, we can be manipulated by demagoguery and so forth through, through our own attachments to our ideals, to our nationality, to our political views or religious identities. <clears throat> uh, you can see at the time now that the uh, suicide bombers and the the strong sense of identity with with different uh, views around Islam and Judaism, Christianity, sectarianism, all these are conventional conventions that that are attached to, and therefore uh, we can be manipulated accordingly. So this retreat, see it as an opportunity to not to try to suppress or to criticize your own 
obsessive tendencies or identities, but to recognize. This is a sense of recognizing what attachment is, what a condition is. It's like this. The identity, say, with gender, with the gender of your body. You can, you know, I am a, a man in this sense of masculinity is it's a word, isn't it? And it creates the sense of of the certain kind of emotional reactions to that identity. And the noticing of it, observing, not saying that there's anything particularly good or bad about it, but it is like this. Being a monk or a nun, being a bhikkhu or a sila tara is what? You know, the identity with that perception. <clears throat> so the witnessing of it, you know, it's, I am a bhikkhu. And uh, this, is, this is a conventional reality. If I if I if I don't if I'm not aware of attachment to that identity, then I tend to you know become. That's what how I relate to the world always is. I'm a bhikkhu and you're a silantara, you're a lay person. You're only an anagarika. <laughs> or the kind of hierarchy takes over, doesn't it? We. The whole point of the Sangha life is, is to get out of the hierarchical structures of society. And yet we can make monasticism into a hierarchical identity. You know? I'm senior monk. I'm the abbot. I'm the Ajahn Sumedho. And then I become, you know, I become, uh, I have a special hierarchical position. Well, hierarchy is is the way that the conventional thinking operates. You know, if you've got an alphabet A to Z, you can't, you know, you've got to think A first before you reach Z. <clears throat> or you can think Z, but you can't think A, B, C, D uh, until you reach Z in the same moment. And this is pointing to an obvious reality, a truism, actually. <laughs> because just by examining that, just the, the alphabet, Latin alphabet, it, you know, one thing comes before the other. One, two, three, four. So thinking is, is you know, when you examine think, the thinking process, it is, it's a structure. It's a, it's a, it has, something has to come first. There has to be one and then two. Or you can rearrange it in different ways. You can have five, two, three, you know, accordingly. But, but there, something, a thing has to be the first 
then the second, then the third. It follows in tandem. So it's called linear, the linear uh, ability of the mind. Thinking is, is like that. It's divisive. It divides, separates. It's a critical function. So in the thinking process, we have what's right and what's wrong. What is allowed and what is not. What is suitable or unsuitable. And the best, good, better, best, bad, worse, worse. These are all, um, this is all about thinking. Comparing one thing with another. So even though this seems obvious, it, it's oftentimes never really recognized. You don't, you don't explore thinking. And it's not th- thinking about thinking. But it's observing yourself thinking and how it actually is. For me to become a man, I have to think. I am, I am a male. I am a man. I am a bhikkhu. Hermajan Sumato. These are these are uh, conventions. They're thoughts attachment to those thoughts. Then I become that way. Now, like the idea of the mendicant, alms mendicant, the samana. So that's the bhikkhu, the silatara. This is not, this is, you know, to be an identity, to make it into some kind of attainment or position one takes. It's somehow, you know, kind of, Missing the point. So contemplate, you know, what did how to use this convention for awareness rather than for position or identity. It's like, like they, uh, the world abbots meeting. You know, there's a kind of comical term, isn't it? The, World Abbot's meeting sounds kind of pretentious. I think of oneself as a world abbot. I can't help but smile at that. They're attending the World Abbot's meeting at, at the Bungwai, the Rattan Swamp Monastery. 
Bungwai means rattan swamp. I suppose Bungwai used to be a place where they'd get rattan, and, you know, a lot of that grows in kind of swampy land. So, uh, you know, take it literally. It's kind of fun to to think things out in more like way more like comic, like the humor behind all the pretentiousness of civilization. <clears throat> in that, when religion can be, you know, when we take it too seriously, we it, it, we we become slightly ridiculous. We have to also see the absurdity of it, of our own convention, the pretentiousness of being righteous and saintly and moral and and all the kind of high-minded ideals that we that are often at the time associated with religion. So like certain jokes <clears throat> in Christianity where they say saints are, you know, not very pleasant to live with because they can't wash the dishes anymore. They're too pure. Above it all, <laughs> you have you have bleeding from your hands and feet, and it stops you from doing anything practical with your life. <laughs> Or being being too too special, too saintly, too righteous <clears throat> is an absurdity, isn't it? Because it is taking, it's going off to an extreme. <clears throat> the extremity is is the realm of thinking. It's the conditioned realm, the best and the worst. What's saintly and what's you know what is pure and impure. So these cartoons that have caused so much trouble because they are, you know, they're kind of satirizing or pointing out the absurdity of a lot of things around that Muslims are attached to. And what does it do? It creates even more division because one thing, you know, the, the kind of secular mind can point to the absurdity and the silliness behind religious conventions. But if people are still attached to those conventions, they can't, you know, they wouldn't find that funny. They'd see it, see it as an attempt to humiliate or put down or disparage something sacred and good. And in that very act of, of uh, attaching to sacred sanctity and purity, we can end up doing very impure acts like killing somebody. I remember uh, one time... Uh, 
man told me, Burmese man, said that he, in the days of the British Empire, and he watched um, British uh, colonial officers enter the Shwedagon with their shoes on, wouldn't take off their shoes, <clears throat> which is, you know, what you always do when you go into the Shwedagon, you don't wear your shoes or sandals. But then um, maybe the British uh, colonial officers were too arrogant to take off their shoes. But the Burmese gentleman said he, when he saw that he wanted to kill the British <laughs> colonial officers who were wearing their shoes. <laughs> now this is the absurdity <laughs> of, uh, of something, you know, meant to show respect and for the, the sanctity and purity of something beautiful uh, and yet lost in, in one's own emotional reactions to attachment to views of what should be. Uh, we can uh, do the very things that, that create the, you know, that are most impure, most despicable. So this is what, like superstition and, and what we put it into the context of Silapattabaramasa in the, in the fetter of Silapattabaramasa. Attachment to conventional reality. Social attitudes and religious conventions. Morality itself. Vinaya and all the rest of it. The attachment to it out of ignorance. Recognize that this avicca or ignorance of the Dhamma, then attachment even to the very best of the conventional world is the experience of suffering. Suffering is a result of ignorance, attachment out of ignorance. So in getting to that point of recognizing what ignorance is, not to to conceive oneself as being ignorant, but what what do we mean when this, this word avicca? Avicca is, is the Pali word for not understanding, not seeing the the truth of the way it is. <clears throat> So even the conventional truths, you know, the conventional conventions we're using in in uh, the Pali concepts, the Theravada tradition, attachment to Theravada and Pali teachings out of ignorance still is uh, can blind us. We can still commit atrocious acts and be arrogant. through ignorance, not because of the convention itself, but because of the ignorance. The not understanding, not investigating, not seeing things as they really are. That's where this this uh, retreat situation, to, to really uh, 
investigate, not try to make yourself, uh, not get rid of ignorance, but recognize it. Attachment to sankharas, identity with them, the five khandas, brings a sense of myself as a separate person, as a male, as a bhikkhu, as a Theravadin, as a whatever. So then understanding comes through awakening, not through adopting another position or creating some other ideal about how I should be, about what enlightenment is or nibbana. But in the simple imminence of awakened attentiveness, that's the puto, the, the knowing, the Buddha knowing the Dhamma, the truth of the way it is. And that's, that's not, that, those are words, admittedly, and those are the conventional words we use. But what are they pointing to? The reality of this moment. And so then we, we, we start, we don't look outward anymore, but observe just suffering, the sense of trying to get something, get rid of something. Notice on this retreat, you know, how you, <clears throat> the amount of suffering you create during this retreat, just through sitting or walking. Liking or disliking, and uh, how, you know, we can create endless problems about the ideal of what, of what we expect on this retreat, what we think a retreat should be. And then anything that kind of interferes or gets in our way. It doesn't kind of fit into what we think a, a proper meditation retreat should be. So this this reflection on sape sankara nicha, all conditions are impermanent. This is like to really carry that through, you know, to to to, to all its subtle permutations. Every sense, every little feeling and and movement of the mind. There's an awareness, isn't it? If, we, if you, you recognize the awareness is like this, then you're aware of the, of the feeling, of the subtleties of feeling. And the awareness then is, is to recognize, realize this awareness as the path. Like it's all the the fourth noble truth, 
Samma Ditti, Samma Sangapo, right understanding, right view, right intention. So in, in this way, we're, the path that we're cultivating, and we talk about pawana or development or cultivation, these kind of words translate this, this word pawana, meditation. But what this, what this really points to is, is trusting in this awareness. And uh, it's like surrendering or those words like renunciation, surrender, a part of, you know, I remember we used to talk about surrender to the form. It used to be a kind of hackneyed kind of statement we used to tell each other, you know, when we'd start complaining or being discontented or that would say, well, surrender to the form. And then that was like an imperative or a put-down or a tyrannical statement, you know, shut up, in other words. Don't rock the boat. So we, you know, no matter how clever the, the language we, you know, how we might use the words, they are, you know, it's not, not, we might understand, we get the idea of surrendering to the form as something we should be able to do, but still that is based on maybe a sense of an ideal of I, uh, this, this monk here, I should surrender. I'm, uh, I shouldn't criticize or, or cause any problem. Just surrender to the form. Watch your mind. Get on with the practice. Be content with the requisites, and these are ideas and uh, ideals that we might have. They can also be, uh, you know, one gets attached to these these kind of statements, which become meaningless after a while or misused because. We're grasping the idea of surrender but it's still based on some kind of personal view of oneself as somebody that should surrender to the form. Or maybe I think you should surrender. If you're, if you're uh, you know, complaining and causing problems and so forth, then you should just shut up and surrender to the form. But what does this really mean in terms of the present moment, this surrendering to the form? And then this is in a reflective place rather than some kind of idea or imperative that comes through the thinking process. It's a, it's a reflection. And surrendering to the form then is we're accepting this moment as is. It's like this. The body is like this. The emotional feeling is this way. 
it isn't it isn't uh, becoming this way but it's it's allowing this the way it is to be what it is So this is like when we develop nekama barami or this renunciation. We oftentimes these baramis become, you know, the become kind of another forms of ideals on a personal level. We should be, you know, generous. Uh, we should renounce the world, luxuries, sensual sensuality worldly positions. Renunciation can be another ideal, an ascetic ideal. But in, in terms of, of the word nekama, or, or translated into English as renunciations, to me it's more the reality of nekama is, is letting go. Not renouncing the world not trying to get rid of my ego or my desires, not trying to get rid of sexual desire and lust or destroy my anger and fear, renounce the world because it's a, an evil place or it's tempting. We can see the sense world as something that is uh, dangerous <clears throat> because it, it's temptation. So then, uh, then this sense of renunciation is more like relaxation. Don't make a problem. Surrendering to the form means the form is, is like this. You have to know what the form is, you know, so it's consciously recognized, not some ideal form. Recognize that the monastic form, the conventions we're using, they are only conventions. They're not perfect. They're not ideals of, you know, the perfect monastic convention, perfect form. Because we, we're not expecting forms to ever be perfect. There's always something. Their very nature is imperfection limitation. So that's where the Sape Sankara Anicca is seeing the, the the nature of all conditioned phenomena. Sankara Sankara is the Pali word, all condition, all phenomena. Anything that arises and ceases. Everything in other words, everything is impermanent. Thing, the word thing, implies something that that stands out, that exists. The word English word exist means to stand out. To come forth into consciousness. So when the when the theologians talk about the existence of God, is it you know, then it gets into the into into a problem with semantics because they say God doesn't exist. Then it's like a denial, isn't it? Or 
what do you mean by God? Is it, does God stand out and say, I'm God and you believe in me or, and, and of course then we, we get caught up into our views and opinions about theology and nature of God and, and that's the thinking process again. Back into the analytical mind, views and opinions, reason and logic. So then the Sape Sankarani Cha not saying not saying that that uh, it's not a put down, it's not saying all conditions are impermanent, therefore, you know, they're don't attach to them as as if uh impermanence were there's something wrong with it. Our sankaras are dangerous, you know, if we attach to them, we, we, uh, you know, we'll get, uh, pulled into rebirth process. These are, these are still thoughts again, aren't they? They're still the, the ideas that we have, the, the reason, the logic that comes from attachment to the ideas of Buddhism. So in, with awareness, it's awakening to this. Surrendering to the form then isn't some kind of idealistic personal ability or lack of ability to to give myself up completely to the holy life as some ideal, but to trust myself more in awareness, this simplicity, this this natural state of being that I don't create from from trying to become mindful, make myself into a mindful bhikkhu. Doesn't work. You know, you kind of you can delude yourself or kind of <clears throat> you know, create the illusion of being mindful, but you're not. Mindfulness isn't isn't something you you create. It's through surrender, through this, putting it more in, in modern terms, psychological terms that are more acceptable to people. And they talk about surrender is not such a popular uh, psychotherapeutic uh, ideal anymore. It's like relaxation. Just relax and be yourself, that kind of thing. But that's getting to the idea, uh, that's, that's, that's this word relax then. What is that? That's an English word that has a kind of calming effect because the uh, complaint of most people in modern life is the stress, the sense of being stressed, which is, you know, the sense of having to do something, having to get something, having to become something. When we talk about relaxation, then it can go to the opposite extreme. Don't have to do anything. Just kind of lay about and, you know, don't put any effort in. All effort is, would be stressful. So don't even try. And then we go to the other extreme. 
So why bother to meditate? Why, why go on a retreat like this? Because, you know, holding yourself up like this, sitting, you know, like this on the floor. It's not, you know, it's not generally how one relaxes in this country, is it? So, relax, relaxation isn't an imperative either. It's not a kind of command and relax and let go of everything or surrender to the form or any of these. These are very good ideas, very good suggestions. You know, we all know we should relax, surrender to the form, let go of the ego. I don't think any of us, uh, you know, uh, object to this in any way on the ideal level. But in terms of the reality of this moment, and what is it, the the tension, the suffering, the separateness, the loneliness, the feeling of having to get something we don't have, the feeling of, of not being a very good meditator. Some of you, you know, you still feel you're not very good at meditation. And so observing that, the sense of I'm, I'm not a good meditator is, is like this. Not trying to think that, convince yourself that you are a good meditator or that just because you're you're not you're not following compulsive habits anymore. You're really developing meditation, not forming any views and opinions about it, but an, a, an, a trusting of awareness of seeing the the the, sen- the way we create ourselves with the conventions that we're using, how we can use these conventions to create more and more suffering, or how to use the conventions. For awareness, the conventional world then, the Dhammavinya that we're using, is for enlightenment, awareness, seeing clearly, not for becoming or attaining or achieving. So, say, not being a very good meditator is like this. You know, I'm not very skilled, I, my mind wanders, and I'm, I'm not, not very good at meditation, is like this. You you're, don't believe it in the sense of, the, of, of trying to, to get rid of this, this, but recognize this is a creation of the mind. I am a meditator is a, is a, we create that, that's a thought, isn't it? I am is a thought and I am a good meditator or a not very good one is like this. Being good or not very good or what is, is, uh, it takes thought, doesn't it? We have to think. Not a very good meditator. Is like this. 
So listening, isn't it? And listening to ourselves, to to our sense of ourself. But listening not in a critical way. So how do you do that? How do you just listen, open and be aware? You know, so this is the this is what the pointing to this. This is awareness. It's non-critical. It doesn't favor good meditators over bad meditators, or those with experience and skill, and those that that uh, that are unskilled. So then who who is it or what is it that knows this? You know, I I've spent years, early years, just observing my thinking process. Just the I am the Just the ability to think, I am. And listening to myself thinking it. I am Ajahn Sumato. I am Sumato. Now, I'm not trying to say I'm not Sumato either, but listening, that which is aware of myself thinking. Intentional thinking too. It's not, not just uh, you know, kind of an idea to convince myself I'm not really any of these conventions. <clears throat> I convince myself that I don't have a self, that I'm really anatta, or I'm the life force, or I'm the ultimate reality, or anything like that. It, the whole thinking process it seems inadequate, doesn't it? I think I'm I am the the ultimate reality. There's still another thought. And the very pronoun I am is so aligned with the the sense of my separateness of being this person, this this body, this being here. Man, when I listen to myself thinking, I am. Then in inquiring into that, that which is aware of the thought is not a thought, is it? If I'm deliberately thinking, I am, tomato, then this is, That which is aware of thinking isn't thinking. So you're noticing, you know, affirming this, this natural state. Awareness is like this. 
recognizing it, that which is aware, and the object then, I am tomato, is an object in consciousness. It's so obvious, isn't it? It's a, But then, just the I am before I define myself, isn't it? Uh, tomato is a it separates me. It defines me, makes me separate from everything. I am is more a statement of being, isn't it? It's it's before I become. I am a man. I am a bhikkhu. I am tomato. It's a statement of being, I am. But in when you're listening to yourself thinking this, that which is aware of that. Now, exploring that, you know, is not, I mean, you might un- think you understand it, because it is simple enough to understand but to really develop it, you know, really investigate it, yoniso manasikara, it's getting to the very root of it. So you're questioning, you're really noticing. Awareness is like this, I am tomato. It's, you know, I'm deliberately thinking it. That is a, what they call an aramana, an object in consciousness. If there's, if you stop thinking I am, what's left? And so, like this is inquiring, you know, investigating. Something quite, you know, that, that seems, might seem, uh, you know, you think you understand it because it's quite simple, but the realities of it, the profundity of it, takes a while to really trust it. Or I am a good meditator, or I'm, I'm not a very good meditator, I'm just a beginner, or I don't, I'm, you know, my mind wanders. Uh, and full of doubts and still get angry. All these, <clears throat> these are, these are thoughts again. Identity with, with habits, with feelings of the body, with the memories, the sense of your self-worth. So then, in this in this way, you know, the, the, what I've discovered <clears throat> is when I talk about sound of silence, this this is what I am aware of when when there's no thought, the kind of resonating 
Is it a sound? Is it, you know, one wants to define it or make it into something or, it's not a matter of, of defining it or, or, uh, trying to figure it out. It's, it's a simple, practical using it because when there's non-attachment of thought, then this is what I, this is the, what, what seems to be present. It's not a thought. Sound of silence, definitely a thought. The words, sound of, you know, that's a preposition and silence. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. But this, then, uh, then the, uh, I am tomato. In I deliberately put this I am tomato into this silence. And I intentionally, I, did, I determined to to think I am tomato. Put it, but observing. So the perspective then, this perspective on the thinking process and the sense of oneself as a separate. Identity. Is seen, recognized. It's only that, isn't it? There isn't any real essential sumato or I am at all. So that's a convention, isn't it? I am sumato is a convention. So that's what I use. I say, "Who are you? I am Sumato." That's fair enough. Unconventional reality. If you apply this and say, "I am a Theravadan Buddhist," or any identity, you know, that that one has. It's not a denial or a judgment, but a recognition of, of this, of the arising ceasing of sankhara, of sakyaditi, of silabhattabharamasa. These uh, fetters that, the first three fetters that prevent stream entry or seeing the path clearly. And the stream entry, you know, that's another hot issue, isn't it? Who is a stream enterer? And who's a sotapanna? This, this uh, Buddhist monks, Buddhists love to, to speculate about who is and who isn't. But when you, you know, this is not a matter of trying to prove that one is or isn't, but in developing a whole different you know, this sense of awareness, of sati panya, rather than of, of sakyatiti. And in order to have that clarity, you need to put them into context so you see them. The, the advantages, you know, what I find benefits of this particular style of meditation, the satipatthana, or the 
Theravada form is that it does, it's a very skillful investigation, gives you terminologies and that in order to investigate the realities of, of human consciousness. So this, um, like the Sotapanna Sakata Kamiana Kamiana, these stages and the ten fetters, uh, the, the Four Noble Truths, these are skillful means. They're not identities or attainments or things to, to measure yourself with on, on a personal level, but merely uh, expedient means for developing awareness, insight into the way it is. So in ultimate simplicity, it's nothing more than this. Awareness is like this. Now when I do this, it's a natural state. I'm not creating. I'm not trying to become aware. Because in order for me to become, try to become aware, I have to believe that I'm somebody who's not aware and has to become somebody who is. But if there's this, the recognition, real, reality of awareness is like this, then that, that uh, critical mind of I, I need to be more aware, I'm not aware enough, or I'm not such a good meditator, or I'm a really, you know, I'm an expert. I'm a meditation master. Some some people consider me a meditation master. All this is conventional, you know, this is language. And any attachment to these conventions out of ignorance is, is the experience of dukkha or suffering. Now this is to be tested, you know, this is to prove to yourself, to know for yourself. You can't, I can't know it for you. If I go around thinking I'm a meditation master, I could become real arrogant kind of person. And I've lost the, the plot. <clears throat> the word master is, you know, a pretty powerful word. But also, I'm, I'm not a very good meditator. It all amounts to the same thing, doesn't it? Whether you put yourself on a pedestal saying, I'm, I'm an expert or I'm a hopeless meditator, it's still the same thing. You're creating yourself in some ways, either you know being the best or the or the worst. But the awareness is the is that that which is aware of that. Of I'm not very good. I'm not a meditation master, or I am a meditation master. Or whatever. <laughs> it's all, you know, it resolves itself into, it all dissolves into this silence of awareness.
Now this way you can, you begin to recognize there's no self. There's no, you know, the self is, is merely a kind of convention that arises and changes according to particular conditions. So if I go, you know, enter, you know, go to uh, the States, you know, immigration and say, I'm a meditation master, doesn't mean anything to them. They think I'm probably a, a crazy, kind of maybe a, a terrorist or something. Or if I should go to Wat Nana Cha and say, I'm a meditation master. Say, that, that guy's really gone off the track. Or I say, I'm a Sotapanna. I'm an Arahant. And then it'll be interesting to see the reactions at Wat Nana Cha to that. <laughs> It'd be safer to say, I'm not, I'm nothing, you know, I'm not a Sotapanna or an Arahant. <clears throat> I'm just an ordinary, you know, I try my best and, you know, I'm a good monk. I try to, you know, and this makes myself an agreeable, kind of harmless member of the Sangha. You know, I'm not arrogant or... And I think, yeah, poor guys, how many, 40 years? <laughs> and then, you know, all he says is, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I managed to be celibate for 40 Now, this is just pointing to this. This is, this is not a worldly convention. You know, it's not for for pronouncing oneself or claiming or becoming anything. Remember that. It's more this attitude of relaxed attention, attentiveness to life, listening, and breaking down the illusions that one holds. The, the prejudices, the biases, the the fears and all that that one tends to be bound into, identified with, uh, not because we choose to, but because we are conditioned, you know, through our culture, through our experience of life, we become limited and bound into these habits and the forms, the bodies and the fears and desires that, that we experience. So then this awakeness is is what's encouraged now. The emphasis in this retreat, encouragement is not an imperative, but an encouragement. To, and it, it's a matter of recognizing and trusting in this simple, in this simple reality of being aware. It's like this. 
and in recognizing it, then it is. It's nothing tense. I don't have to kind of hold on and desperately cling to something. It's a sur- act of surrender. It's a, I'm, I'm just letting go, letting myself be this, this awareness, surrendering to it. Renunciation, it's nekama, because it, it's not, not renouncing anything, but just letting go of, of the striving, the, the um, worldly tendencies emotional tendencies that that uh, arise in my consciousness in the present. It's not like renouncing them as an, a willful rejection. It's more like this thing, letting go, surrendering, relaxing, opening, trusting. 